Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to a day after and game day edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Chris Tarian, former Flyer defenseman and analyst, is going to join us momentarily to break down game three and preview tonight's game number four. And what an important hockey game the Flyers will be playing tonight. Um, after losing game three in the fashion that they did, more on that in a moment, game four now becomes paramount. The team that wins game three to go up two games to one in the Stanley Cup playoffs, traditionally in the history of the game, goes on to win that series 67.1% of the time. That's advantage, obviously, to the team that won game two or game three and is up two games to one. It's not as pronounced as maybe I thought it would be, um, but the team that wins and goes up three games to one, so in other words, if the Islanders were to win coming up tonight when the Flyers take on the Islanders in game four at eight o'clock, if they go up three games to one, that team closes out the series and wins it 89.5% of the time. So pretty much nine out of 10 times that team will go on to victory in the series. That's what's on the line tonight. The Flyers have an opportunity to tie this series up at two, make it a best of three, and find a way to develop some more consistency and find a way to develop, obviously, more goal scoring and find a way to find uh, uh, the, the vulnerability in this Islanders team that they have found for short periods of time but not been able to sustain in this series. Despite the fact that they have the win in Game 2, they take the 3 nothing lead in Game 2, only to have it squandered away with 2.09 left in the third period of that game. Ultimately, it ends up going to overtime, and they get an overtime win. They earn the win. They Look, they blew a three-goal lead, but they were able to compartmentalize that, put it in the rearview mirror, go to overtime, and get the win and even the series. Now, in game number three last night, the Flyers come out in the first period, and, and frankly, it was one of the better first periods they've had in the entire playoffs since going to the bubble. They dictated. The forecheck was good. They got pucks deep. They provided pressure. They provided zone time, possession, all of those things, got scoring chances out of it, came out of the first period with just the one goal uh, by Tyler Pitlick. It was a great job on that goal by James Van Riemsdyk and Ivan Provorov, uh, putting in some, some net front layered screens on Semyon Varlamov. He was unable to deal with it. He wasn't able to deal with it, and Pitlick's seeing eye shot found the back of the net. But they only come out of the period up one to nothing, and then where the tide turns is that second period. And frankly, to me, it looked like the Islanders were on the power play for 18 of the 20 minutes in the second period. Way too much zone time. Uh, the attention to detail. You hear me say this all the time. The game is so much about the little details. And you look at the, the, the goals that they scored in the second period. Both of them are a lack of detail why they ended up uh, being scoring chances. Um, it, but the attention to detail faded. And in the playoffs and against a team like the Islanders, they can't fade. Um, even if the Islanders or your opponent has momentum, the details need to be in there to still give you the best chance to be able to weather the storm when they do gain momentum and they're carrying the play. And the Flyers weren't able to do that in that second period. They give up the goal, uh, the first goal initially to Matt Martin. And this is just a play where Kevin Hayes is just on the wrong side of uh, Matthew Barzell on that uh, the wall battle. And he's not between the puck and the net. And Phil Myers can't get over quick enough uh, to, to mute that play. And Barzell throws a great pass out to Matt Martin, who puts it in through Carter Hart. More on that in a moment. Uh, the second goal 
uh, as a failed clear for the Flyers, where they tried to the, the flip, and they're, that's something that they've incorporated in Game 2 with the forecheck of the Islanders really hemming them in and giving them trouble coming up uh, out of the zone. They decide to flip it and go over them and have that puck land in the neutral zone. But a couple of clears in that game, they didn't get those pucks airborne enough. Again, details. And, you know, you see that play where a guy like Broussard is able to glove that down about six feet high and then get the puck in front again. And the Islanders score and they take the 2-1 lead. And it happens with five seconds left in the period. And Elaine Vigneault talked about it in his press conference. Like, those things can't happen. With 20 seconds left in the period, you have an offensive zone draw. And you have your top two defensemen on the ice, and still you give up a goal with five seconds, 5.1, to be precise, left in the period. Those things can't happen. Um, Ivan Provorov had some spectacular plays in the game, in particular on a two-on-one in the first period. Um, But he also had a couple of gaffes in the game as well. And it's been pretty well spread around the inconsistency of play uh, for this Flyers team. And and again, uh, as I said uh, on the postgame show last night, that the Islanders, it was a well-earned victory. For the Flyers, it was a well-earned loss. Um, They contributed to it, and they put themselves in that situation with what I like to call self-inflicted wounds. Uh, The third goal for the Islanders comes on the power play after Robert Haig takes a stick penalty. Coaches never like stick penalties because usually it's a player reaching because he's out of position. Haig kind of got caught in between wanting to pinch and then realizing that it was a bad idea to pinch and uh, slash and uh, ends up um, on the power play, and Anders Lee, who's just a big body that the Flyers, w- once Anders Lee established position on that goal, uh, down around the blue paint on the power play, Flyers had no ability to move him off his real estate. And instead of deflecting that puck to try and put it by Carter Hart, he stops it, and he actually attempts to get that puck to Matthew Barzell, who's on Carter Hart's right side, the left side of the offensive zone, uh, for a one-time opportunity. But Hart gets the active stick out to try and deflect that pass, and the puck ends up backhand off of Anders Lee stick into Hart's paddle and in behind him in the net. Now, as far as Carter Hart goes, and, th- and this is going to be a big question coming up tonight, is Carter Hart going to be in net? And while in a lot of ways it's, you go, well, that's a slam dunk, of course. He, he's bounced back in the Montreal series, had back-to-back shutouts after a loss. Um, they just had two days off, and it's a back-to-back. Um, but you have to—I think it's a live decision, and there's a couple of reasons why. And we'll talk about this with Chris Terrian as well, and I'll get his thoughts on it. But here's my take. Um, when considering whether you're going to go back to him in, in Game 4 on the back-to-back, you have to consider a lot of different elements. Shot volume is part of it. It's not a huge part of it. 29 shots in the game, not a tremendous amount. Um, you have to look at more zone time for the Islanders, the stress load in that zone time on the goaltender, what that exertion levels look like. And like I said in the beginning, it looked like the Islanders were on an 18-minute power play uh, through the 20-minute second period. So that's a lot of zone time. That's a lot of bearing down for Carter Hart and uh, being in a ready position. Um, so that's obviously taxing. But you also have to consider the way he played in the game. And while Carter's been very good for this Flyers team, he made several good saves in the game. Could have been worse for the Flyers than the 3-1 final. Um, the goals that he let in, uh, I'm sure he didn't like. And here's why. Uh, the goals were leaky, two of them, the first two goals. The first goal, the Matt Martin goal, he's in the right position, but it finds his six hole is what that is. It's his, the six hole in a goalie is between his blocker arm and his body, and that puck finds a way to squeak through there. The second goal, the Leo Komarov goal, um, was a leaky goal as well that 
ended up kind of fooling him a little bit and ends up trickling through his five hole. Neither puck touched the back of the net. They just leaked over the goal line. And in the goaltending world, goaltending coaches, guys that played the position, we always have this saying that nothing threw me. Two goals went through him. So whether whatever happened before that and the breakdown, that certainly is not on Carter. But again, the notion of nothing threw me, I was there to make the save. I was in the right position, but I didn't seal the holes. So those two goals, I guarantee he won't like because there's nothing worse as a goalie than getting to the spot and having the goal go through you. You go, you go I made every decision right, but I didn't have my arm tight enough to my body or I wasn't able to close the five hole. And then the third goal, the redirect off his paddle. Look, he had an active paddle there. Uh, he won't love that goal either. Um, he would probably, in looking back on it, would have got his paddle down on the ice for that backhand attempt, knowing that Anders Lee had a, had a defender on him and the ability to go upstairs on him would have been very difficult there. Uh, but those things do happen. But the first two goals, I guarantee you, he, d- he didn't like. So that's a consideration as well. And then the other consideration is, if you bring Brian Elliott in, is this a situation where the dynamic of the team changes and everybody plays at a heightened sense? Um, it's a possibility. But also, there's risk involved here. Brian Elliott hasn't played a lot of hockey lately. He hasn't played in um, serious competitive games. He got in the, 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 the third period of the one game, but that game was out of hand at that time. And that's not the same as playing with the pressure of a scoreless game to begin it, a one-goal game, protecting a one-goal lead. He hasn't done that. Now, he's been around a long time, has been through a lot of wars in the NHL. So we'll see what that decision is. But again, I don't think it's a slam-dunk decision that Carter Hart is in that. I think there's a lot of things to consider, and I'm sure last night Elaine Vigneault met with his coaching staff, uh, met with Kim Dillaball, the, the goalie coach, and and looked at all aspects of this game, sports science, all of it, to make a, the best determination on what to do and who to play coming up in what is just a hugely important game, game four, especially when you're down two games to one. The Flyers need to bounce back. They need to show the resiliency that they've shown since January of every opportunity that they've lost a, a game, they've bounced back 11 times. Uh, with a win in the next game, and Carter Hart's done that as well. Ultimately, I think the decision will be to go to Carter Hart. I think that's the the decision Elaine Vigneault will make, but we shall see. As far as uh, lineup decisions in the game, uh, Robert Haig did not have his greatest performance, took the penalty that gave him the third goal when Anders Lee scored on the power play, um, took two penalties in the game. Uh, But do you go to Shane Gossespierre? Um, If you're putting Gossespierre in the lineup, you're putting him in there for some offensive uh, capabilities, but he hasn't shown an ability to deal with that. And one of the considerations here, too, will be the opponent. And the New York Islanders are a big, heavy team, and that doesn't lend to ghost game. So that'll be another decision that uh, Elaine Vigneault makes. And then the combinations up front, whereas that top line of Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, and Jake Voracek had a really good game, too, and looked instinctual in the way they played and really played well in that game and, and really won most of their shifts and had a lot of offensive zone time and got on the board with the Couturier goal. And, and Giroux also, you know, key on the on the first Kevin Hayes goal, winning that defensive zone faceoff and getting up on the play to provide an option on a two-on-one. Uh, they didn't follow it up in game number three. Uh, it was not a good performance for that line. It was not a good performance for the Kevin Hayes, Travis Konechny, Joel Farabee line. And while the, your third line was your best line with Scott Lawton back in the lineup with James Van Riemsdyk and Tyler Pitlick, and they accounted for the only goal, um, I think Elaine Vigneault's got probably going to consider some some combination changes with his top six forwards. I've been 
beating the drum to put Travis Konechny back with Couturier and Giroux and see if they can recapture some of the chemistry they've had in the past as a line. All three of those players are struggling considerably. Maybe that's something that Elaine Vigneault does. Uh, we shall see. We'll see how he attacks that game or if he brings a different forward in. Michael Roffel did not play. I tend to think if Michael Roffel didn't play in Game 3, um, that was likely because of injury, not because of performance, and not because of um, a, a situation where he didn't like his game. Elaine Vigneault doesn't like making changes to his lineup coming off a win, and they were coming off a win, and Michael Roffel was out. I know he, he's very fond of the game that Michael Roffel plays, the PK ability he has, the big body against a, a big body team in the Islanders. So perhaps he exacerbated the injury he had prior or obtained a new one. I just I tend to doubt um, that he was a healthy scratch in that hockey game. Uh, that's just my opinion on the matter, but nonetheless. Uh, also coming up, we're going to get to Twitter questions, and there's a ton coming in, and I'm going to get to as many as I can. But let's get to my conversation right now with former Flyer defenseman, Chris Terrian had a chance to catch up with him after the game, and here's what he had to say. Joining us right now uh, to break down Game 3, a 3-1 loss in Game 3, is former Flyer defenseman and current analyst Chris Terrian. Bundy, uh, that was hard to watch after the first period, wasn't it? It was, and you know, it's funny, Jace. Like, uh, you know, I didn't yell in the post-game show tonight, but I sure feel like doing it now. Uh, you know, it's really funny because they, they had a perfect start. They had the Islanders sitting back. They had them, you know, chasing the puck, uh, winning puck battles, puck races. And then, they, and then the best part is you get a goal that is uh, featured by, by, uh, by Pitlick, uh, Tyler Pitlick. And that line, JVR and Lawton, ended up being like, you know, juggernauts in this game. And you get a one nothing lead. And then the Islanders then go on a 15-to-1 shot advantage immediately after scoring the goal. That's unacceptable, and that'll make your coach go crazy real quick because that's not X's and O's. That's nothing to do with the analytics, the goal scoring. That is just strict meat and potatoes, getting back down to business and getting it done, and they didn't do it tonight. The Islanders, for whatever reason, got a wake-up call, and, boy, did they wake up. Boy, they, may, they probably got uh, – I think Trotz may have tore the door off the room in between the first and the second. They were lucky to only be down one considering that performance. But, Bundy, that's the thing that's frustrating is this team has had slow starts. They finally cure that ill, but then they followed up with a second period that looked like they were on the PK for pretty much 18 of the 20 minutes. I mean, it failed clears, they, leading they, the goals, and guys on the wrong side of the yep. puck. These are details that should not be missed. Yeah, and, and no, there's no question about it. You know, and then guys like, you know, guys not getting in the corner first. That uh, I believe was the first goal that Matt Martin got. I mean, you got guys – not sure of their responsibilities. Just go get the puck. You know, it, it was it was a frustrating. Listen, even broadcasting, I don't play anymore, and I, you get frustrating nights because you see what goes on out in the ice. But the one issue I thought tonight, Jason, that you, and you just mentioned it was uh, coming out of the zone uh, tonight. For some reason, the Flyers decided that coming up the strong side would be the way to do it. But I just saw clips and videos in the post game show where. It looked to me like the whole weak side was open to just relieve the pressure, come up the outside. Uh, they, they're making it way harder on themselves than they have to. And then, of course, when you get an Islander team with a lead, I mean, it's it's not too much different from, a, you know, a 90s, mid-90s, late-90s Devils team that just shuts you down. And, and, and they don't have Brodeur backing them up. They got Semyon Marlamov. So the Flyers put themselves in this position tonight, which is a disappointing part. I thought A.V., said as much tonight in this game he looked very frustrated um 
but this is this is a matter of just pressing forward after the first goal and not being feeling satisfied with, with the start that you had. Yeah, Bundy, you're playing right into the teeth of the forecheck when you do that, and you reverse it, and not only does it help you, obviously, in that play, but it creates an awareness that that could happen at any time. Um, and, and it just seemed like there was, no, there was a reluctance to do that. I, I don't understand that. Um, but you, you look at this game and the way it played out as well. And, you know, once again, you know, coming off of game two where the Flyers, you know, get the three goals, they hang on, are able to get to, get to overtime and get the win and, and save that victory to even the series. And, you know, the top players on the team had a lot of jump in that game. The top line with Couturier, Giroux, and Voracek looked to be playing instinctual hockey. Uh, the second line and Kevin Hayes was obviously really good in the game with Konechny and Joel Farabee. They had a, a big say in the outcome of that one. And then tonight, you didn't see it again. It looked like it was one step forward, two steps back. Um, yeah. I, I don't know who's dealing with injuries. I don't know who's having a hard time in the bubble. I don't know any of those parts of the equation because we've never been through this before. Uh, but what I do know is that what's happening on the ice is not acceptable from those players. So the underlying theme, and I was just getting to it, really is, you know, when you look at, at, at what's transpired for just about a month now, you know, what exactly has gone on? They had a great round robin, and, um, and, and again, there's no pressure in those games. It was easy to play. Uh, they ended up with the number one seed. They deserved it. They played great. But when you get yourself into these situations where now you're down in a series or trailing in a game, you know, those, those errors and those situations wear on you mentally. But the underlying theme has been the lack of production from the top six guys, whoever that is in those games. There's not been enough consistency to score. Um, it's great when you get an addition tonight. And listen, Scotty Lott's played some really good hockey. We've seen JVR score before. Uh, Pitlick is what he is. You know, I mean, we know what he's, you're going to get out of him. An honest effort, a guy who can shoot the puck when he gets a chance to, but he's going to work the boards. He's going to make it difficult on the other team. That's great to pick up a line of three guys that are able to contribute like that in a depth line situation. But if you can't get continued production from your top six guys, then you're going to be an early exit. And, and they got by it in the, in the first round against Montreal with some great goaltending. Uh, the power play wasn't clicking. It's still, you know, it really hasn't since that one game where they clicked against the, uh, Montreal and made things happen. But if, if they can't, be producers, um, then this is going to be this will be a short series because the Islanders are a hungry team physically and on the boards. There is a way the Flyers can play them, Jason, but it's got to be sustained for 60 minutes. They did it at the start tonight, but it's got to be sustained, and they have to realize really quick that this is just not going to be an easy series to win. They're going to have to dig in. They're going to have to make hard, difficult plays in the zone. They're going to have to absorb hits and if they're not engaged like that, then, then they're not going to win this series. Yeah, and, that, and that's the key to winning in playoff hockey is to sacrifice body, everything, to, to, to get the win. Um, Bundy, you played in so many playoff games. You know, I said after this game on the postgame show, I said um, that victory was well-earned by the Islanders and that loss yeah. was well-earned by the Flyers. Um, going forward in this series, you have a chance to tie it up in a back-to-back -back situation. Now, when you lost a, yeah. a, a game three in a tied series, and I know you played in so many, um, you guys didn't lose a lot of game threes, but um, when you do, it, is it better for the player on the losing side to get right back at it tomorrow, even though, you know, obviously you just played a game the day before, your body's not as rested as it normally would be, but would you prefer from a mental standpoint to get right back out and try and, and, try and tie this series up and make it a best of three? 
Well, I used to like not having to sit on a, on a bad loss for too, too long, especially in a playoff series. But there was usually always a day in between games, yeah. which made it, uh, you know, a little bit you get to kind of, you know, get your rest and recuperation. I've always been a believer, though, Jason, that winning in, against the same team in consecutive days is a very tall order. It's very difficult to beat the same team twice in a row in, ba- in, in back-to-back games. So that's one thing for that, I think, because one team may feel a little bit satisfied, and the other team certainly knows that their backs are against the wall in dire situation. So I said before the game tonight, I, I think it's talking with maybe Al Morgani and someone in there at Katie Emmer that this might be the, the series that, you know, I really feel like Monday morning is probably going to be 2-2 based on the way the games are set up. I hope I'm right about that. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to be if the Flyers are going to have a chance because tomorrow night becomes now uh, the most important game of the series and most important game of the Flyers season. Yeah, and you need to see desperation. You, you need to see urgency, yep. uh, desperation, intensity, all of those coachy, coach cliche lines, but they're absolutely true. Yep. Um, Bundy, the decision on the lineup tomorrow with this back-to-back, Robert Haig did not have a great game. Uh, I took a penalty that led to the power play goal for Anders Lee, took another one as well. Um, I said on the post-game show that I look at that situation and I go, okay, well, it's ghost an option. To me, probably still not because it's just the way the Islanders are built. Uh, is that a consideration for you? I don't know. I mean, you're going to look for offense. You're going to look for, for decisions. I don't know if, if – so the thing with a player like Ghost for me, and uh, there are there's, – there's multiple defensemen like this in the league. Um, does the does the offense and the pros that he bring outweigh the negatives that he could bring into a game? And I'm, I'm not comfortable saying that this is a series that's perfectly designed for Ghost. I think the Montreal series might have been a better one for him, but I don't necessarily think that this series is. I – I like Robert Haig's game. He did not have a great game tonight. Um, a lot of guys didn't have a great game tonight. I know it's always easier to kind of uh, slap the wrist of the guy who's not the highest paid guy or, or the, the most notable featured player every single night. But I, I stick with Robert Haig, and I look at the fact that, you know, like A.V. said in the press conference at the end there tonight, I, you know, I have my two best defensemen on the ice, uh, you know, inside 25 seconds, offensive zone faceoff, and we get scored on. Like, that can't happen. Those things yeah. cannot happen in a playoff series for you to have success, and they did. So, for part of it for me, the top guys just need to be better. And be better quick. you got 24 hours here, let a little less than that to get yourself regrouped. But that, that to me, is where it's at. I, I leave Robert Haig where it is. Uh, forward, I thought was interesting tonight, Jason, is Michael Roffel injured. These are the things I don't know. To yeah. me, he's not a guy I ever take out of a series like this just because, uh, you know, the big body, the skating that he brings. So, that tells me maybe he's a little bit dinged up. I don't know that. I don't know that at all. But th- there will be decisions made. And, yes, there will be there'll be lineup changes again tomorrow. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, the goaltending situation in the back-to-back, uh, does A.V. go back to Carter Hart? Should he go back to Carter Hart? Because, Bundy, I said it was all predicated. It's not on shot volume because that's, that's a misleading number. It's more about right. uh, the engagement, the zone time, the pressure and kind of the way the game broke out. Coupled that with performance. I didn't think Hart had his greatest game. You know, goaltenders will always say, nothing leaks through me. It should never. I'm there. I got to make the save. I got to close those holes. Two of them leaked uh, through them to the extent where they didn't even touch the back of the net. They trickled over the goal line. The third one, he tries to get an active paddle and redirect that pass from Anders Lee and ends up putting it in behind him. Um, so is the consideration to go to Brian Elliott a, a valid one in your opinion? I think it'll be considered. I mean, this is we're getting to a point now where all options will be on the table for, for the coaching staff of this team. 
Uh, do I think it's realistic? I don't know. I, I, again, these are one of these things where coaches will go back, and I, I know AV will think the same thing. Do I go with him? Do I not? And he'll sleep on it and make a decision in the morning. Personally, I would go back to Carter Hart. I think you need – this is a situation you need to let the kid know that, uh, yeah, you're 22 years old. Yeah, you just had two days off. Um, he was tested, but it wasn't a, a flurry of, like, 48 shots thrown at him. I think it was 29. Yeah. The shot volume wasn't very high, more, but the, 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 the second period was like an 18-minute power play, though. And that engagement will wear you it down was, as a it goalie. Was, it's gonna, it was a lot of left to right, right to left, going back and forth. Oh, the yeah. crease, there's no question about that. So, and you're up on your feet. Um, that's a good question, Jason. I think we'll find out tomorrow. Me, personally, right now, just putting on my coaching hat for a moment, I would start Carter again tomorrow right now. But that may, that may also change in the morning. But that, that's where I'd go right now with that one. Yeah, I don't think it's a slam dunk decision, but I, I think I would go back to him too, knowing that, you know, in that game, at, what was it, game two against Montreal, he bounces back with back-to-back shutouts. And the, the, metal, the mental yeah, and fortitude it, of him is, is a big reason why I go to it. And the, other, and the other part that you have to ask if you're the coaches, are the players relying too much on him? The you know, point. there's – like, has he made so many great stops and given them so many great chances early in games? I mean, the Brock Nelson a couple times now in, in, in two of these three games – so sometimes that can happen where a team like sits back and says, oh, you know, our, we got a really good goalie, but that's just not going to be good enough. And, um, you know, like, you know, he's a better goalie than Varlamov, but, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of it's a team in front of you, the mistakes you make and, and those leaky goals. So I'm with you. I agree that it's not an absolute 110% that he goes. It'll be considered for Elliott, uh, I, I would think, as well, because, you know, that may be the fire they need to say, hey, we can't rely on, on, on the, the goal time we have. we got to go out and work and hope that Brian – uh, does a good job as he's done all year, if that's the case, if that's the case. When you played, you know, there's a, the backup goaltender theory. When the backup goalie's in, everybody raises the level of their game because in, in a lot of cases, the backup goaltender, and more in particular when you played, was inferior to the starter. Do you believe that to be true? Um, I do. I do think that you put a little bit more into the, the game on the ice, a little bit more detail, fine print detail. Yeah. A little bit more, you know, and I, I look, I remember once we had Neil Little play a game, and, and it was a Carolina. He ended up starting a brawl, um, which was perfectly <laughs> fit, because that's all the Phantoms did when Billy Barber was coaching. There was pretty much brawl. They were a complete throwback. And Litz got his first game in the NHL, and he was brilliant in the first period. I remember thinking to myself, man, we really got to step up for this guy. Like, I want this kid to get a win. Uh, we, got, we got shellacked, and Litz started a brawl. But, again – the thought process was there that, hey, we don't have our main guy. We got a backup. We want to really do a good job for him, make sure we're just a little bit sharper than maybe we are because he's not used to seeing the ice time that the regular guy does see on, on a regular basis. Yeah. I've always, you know, wondered what the players thought of that, that, that theory and, you know, just the little details and stuff like that. And, I mean, in all your years playing, you had some mutts for backups too. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, there were some cutie pies. I mean, uh, you know, I <laughs> – I love them all, little Jace. They were great people. But you know what I will say? Um, yeah, there, we'd had a couple. But anyway, I mean, it was um, – but that, that's the way it goes, you know. I mean, and, and that's uh, – it's just difficult. You don't want to get into a situation where you're, you know, uh, you're not com- – you should compete all the same. And I, you have to remember, too, I would think like that because I was a defensive defenseman. So I was always glued to the goalie. I, I will tell you, there's six fours in every team that doesn't really care what goes on in the zone. Uh, for the most part, they want to get their cookies, and uh, uh, and that's the focus most nights because we do need those goal production. But I was always I was always tethered to the goaltenders, and uh, 
and always try to do my best to help those guys out as they did for me as well. So no doubt bail you out when you need it and you help them out when they need it yep. as well. It's two way street. Bundy, exactly. Well, exactly. Get some rest. You're back at it tomorrow. We're all back at it tomorrow and hopefully we can wake up in the morning. And when people hear this on flyers daily, uh, you know, they can kind of say, Hey, we, this team hasn't lost back to back games since early January. Why would this be the first one? You know, so yeah, and, there's the, and the last point too. Listen, as crappy as the game was tonight, it was I mean, it wasn't good. You can wake up Monday morning 2-2, and it doesn't matter how you got there. But you got to win tomorrow night. That's that's the key. If you lose tomorrow night, you've you've got a you got a tough road to hoe. Yeah, that's going to take a real special team to come down from three-one and the inconsistency. Oh, yeah. He's not going to lend to that. That's for sure. Bundy, thanks for doing this. We'll talk soon. You got it, my friend. Thanks, Jason. All right, let's get to some Twitter questions. We start out with Jared uh, JBPHI on Twitter. He says the prevalent thought is you don't put Ghost in unless he can contribute on the power play. He can't do that on PP two though. Provorov is struggling with putting Ghost on PP one. Give Provorov some rest and challenge that first unit and Ghost. Um, in theory, yeah, I think you're right. I'd like to see Ghost on that top power play unit should he be in the lineup. Um, but the deal, here's the deal for me. The Islanders don't take a lot of penalties, so you're not going to get a lot of power play opportunities. And you have to look at everything in total. Against a team that's, not, that's very well disciplined and not going to give you a lot of power play opportunities, if inserting Ghost into the lineup in your vision can be that he's a net positive, then yes. The problem with that, though, for me, Jared, is that against the Islanders, a big, heavy team, that likes to beat you up along the walls and forecheck you and get pucks behind defensemen, that doesn't lend to his game. So I don't know that he can be a net positive with this opponent. And as Bundy said, you know, against Montreal, that was a better situation for him because you look at their forwards, guys like Nick Suzuki aren't, aren't big bodies like Anders Lee. This, this Islander team is like the Anaheim Ducks or, you know, those big heavy teams in the Western Conference in 2015. And it, it doesn't lend to Gossip Spare's assets as a player. Joshua Hudson tweets and he says, why does Montreal and New York, why do they score goals from passes behind the net to the slot and the Flyers aren't doing that? Well, they had a great scoring chance on exactly that. Kevin Hayes was down below the goal line, had a backhand pass in front to Farabee, but uh, Varlamov just made an excellent save. But your point is valid. And here's why. Um, th- when you're having trouble scoring, that's a great way to attack a goalie. Traffic in front, and getting pucks into the front of the net, and in particular, from below the goal line. The goalie hates when the puck is below the goal line because you're looking back behind you, so it's not obviously in the direction your body is facing, and your, and your body has to be facing forward, and you don't know, because you're looking behind you, where the scoring threats are. You can take little quick peeks and kind of turn your head real quick to see where you know the offensive players are placed. So when that puck comes out from below the goal line, it's very. It's why a lot of goalies play that on their knees because those shots um, will come below 11 inches most times, 88% of the time, as a matter of fact. So you play it on your knee, on your knees, and take everything away down low because it's really hard on a one timer that comes out from behind the net for a player to roof it. So, um, but you're right. It's it's something the Flyers need to do more. Paul Nolan tweets and he says, "Why can't this Flyers team play the whole 60 minutes the way they did the last two first periods?" I know the other team has something to do with it, but the Flyers definitely take their foot off the gas. Um, in the second period, it certainly looked like they took their foot off the gas, and their execution uh, wasn't nearly to the level it needed to be. I think that your point is right, too. The other, there's another team on the ice, and they're not playing the Washington Generals. It's not the Globetrotters for some t- versus some team out there to take a beatdown. Uh, the other team's got pride. 
they've got you know they want to grab momentum in a game and they want to start to dictate the terms and it's ebbs and flows and it's momentum it's having momentum losing momentum trying to get the momentum back that's what the sport is and when you don't have the momentum the details of the game need to be what dictates how you survive that and in the second period of this game number three those details lacked and like I talked about before with Kevin Hayes on the wrong side of the puck or a clear a flip clear that's not deep enough and they end up keeping it at the blue line when Broussard gloves it at six feet high so those things they need to be they need to be more dialed in on the details. I, you hear me always talk about it, Paul. I always talk about the details because that's what the game is all about. Michael Worcester tweets and he says, just want your opinion on what gets these guys going. Several months off, obviously during the pandemic. Sure, He said, sure, some may have gotten injured already, but they appear lethargic at times, unprepared. What happened to the team that jumped all over the Bruins and Lightning? And for real this time, I have a stick for you. I think he has a goalie stick for me. So yeah, get that to me, Michael. Um, but uh, okay, so let's t- tackle that in a couple of pieces. Number one, Several months off, and some players may have gotten injured already. Yeah, we don't know any. We have no idea what players are dealing with what injuries. Like I said before, I think that Konechny might be dealing with something, shying away from contact to his upper body like he is. That indicates to me maybe shoulder. Um, could be the case. Couturier was being used less on uh, face-offs, in particular D-zone face-offs, and they were using Giroux even on the side where they would normally use Couturier. That could be shoulder, forearm, wrist, elbow, anything. Um, so you look at those kind of things, and, and maybe they're an indication. Um, but the other part of this is, uh, look, it looks lethargic because the other team's on top of you. Um, I don't think they're unprepared, but we never knew. And we talked about this during the pause a ton on Flyers Daily. And I also talked about it with players that were coming on. You know, what is the recipe going to be for certain players, certain teams, certain units, whatever it might be, that are going to come back from this pause and be what they were in a good way or be what they weren't in a bad way. Um, And we didn't know what that's going to be. We didn't know if aging or veteran players would be at an advantage because they've been there, done that in the playoffs. And we didn't know if young players who had an ignorance that never really played in the playoffs and was just going playing hockey would have the advantage. And there's really no common denominator. The the thing we don't know, we don't know how the, the bubble life is affecting individuals. Um, we have no idea. While we sit here and say, yeah, they're professional athletes. They get paid a lot of money. They're in a bubble. You know, you're literally in a, a fenced-in area. I mean, it's this is a very unique circumstance, and some players and people are more equipped to handle it than others. I don't know if that's a factor or not. As far as the last part you said, what happened to the team that jumped all over the Bruins and Lightning? Yeah, the Flyers were playing well at that time. They had motivation because they could move up, and they were playing carefree because they couldn't move down. And those other teams, the intensity level wasn't that high. And I talked to Brian Boucher the other day, and, and Boucher said it, and I heard Kevin Hayes on, on a podcast as well talk about it. The intensity level from those games in the round robin to game one of the Montreal series was like night and day. Totally different. Kevin Miller says, how do you fix the top two lines? To me, you got to make some, some drastic changes. Again, Konechny with Giroux and Couturier. All three of those players, what do they have in common? They're all struggling. Put them together and see what happens. That may seem counterintuitive, by the way, but they've had success before. And, and that change in chemistry, that change in dynamic, could be exactly what, what those players need. Obviously, a, a response I've gotten from a lot of people is, where is G? Where is the captain? And, you know, is Drew playing? And blah, blah, blah. Look, he's having a tough series. He looked good in game two. I thought he played really well in that game, as did his line. Um, but that line, in total... 
and Giroux individually has not had enough success. Um, he'd be the first to tell you that. He's very, very hard on himself, and he c- demands a lot out of himself. And when he doesn't have success, um, that sometimes I think can hurt him um, because of, of the way it affects him. He's a competitor, and when he doesn't have success on this stage especially, um, it's very difficult for him to handle. Uh, but that being said, he's got to compartmentalize that right now. Um, Claude's got a is a guy that's got to rely on his instincts and hockey IQ. He's got to make uh, make plays in games with decisive um, playmaking ability. Look, everybody says he hasn't scored a goal. He's not a goal scorer. He's never been a goal scorer. He scored thirty over once in his career. But he's got to make plays and he's got to set up plays and he's got to affect the game on a higher level than he is right now. That's kind of the best way for me to answer. Does he need to be better? Absolutely. But he's not the only one. Couturier needs to be better. Konechny needs to be better. A lot of guys need to be better. The good news, I guess, is that they haven't been great, and they're down 2-1 in the second round of the playoffs, and a chance tonight to tie it up at 2 and make it a three-game series. So maybe that's some good news for those that want to take it that way. I get the sense that a lot of people, and look, I've been a Giroud defender for a long time. He was, he's been a great player for this team. And the numbers that he has are not a mistake. And I know people want to roll out. He's got three goals and 30 playoff games. If you're really being honest and you really know the dynamics of this sport, you know that for from 2012 until this year, there was no other options offensively. It's easy to shut one line down in the NHL. But, look, I think there's an annoying nature to this right now when it comes to Drew. I want him to perform. You want him to perform. But I think there's way too many people, and I don't know what it is about fans in Philadelphia that do this sometimes, that seem to take glee in the fact that he's not having a good series, and in their eyes he's failing. I, I'll never understand it. I don't know why you'd rather be right that a guy's cooked or that you want him to be cooked because that's your narrative uh, to, the, to the detriment of your team. To me, that is asinine, asinine behavior. You can call a guy out and hold him accountable for his lack of production. Absolutely. But there's way too many people that take glee in it, and I find that pathetic. Chris Lamana tweets in and says, uh, on that note, would you consider sitting one of the top six, TK or Giroux? For who? I mean, (laughs) you don't take those guys out of your lineup. Even if they're struggling, you don't take those two players out of your lineup unless they're injured, and that's the reason why they're struggling because they can't perform up to their highest level. Look, those guys got you there. Giroux was their best scorer from early January until the pause. He hasn't, his game is not rounded into form. Travis Konechny was their highest scorer in the regular season. He hasn't either. This is a very unique circumstance. But as far as making them a healthy scratch, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, Drew Max says, uh, should the Flyers play Elliott tomorrow? I kind of addressed that earlier. I think it's a live option. I ultimately think that Elaine Vigneault will end up going with uh, Carter Hart in the game, but we shall see. At Political Gritty on Twitter tweets in, and he says, uh, at this point, are Coots and G in their own heads? Well, that's a great question, and I think that there is, there is, that's, there's an element of truth to that. Um, they are both struggling. They're not producing, and even though they had a, a good game in Game 2 and, and parts of the series, uh, par- parts of games in, game, in the first series against Montreal— um, I do think that the fact that they're not ending up on the score sheet at the, the the level that they're used to is in their own heads right now. And when that happens, 
you, you tend to try and be too precise. And by doing that, you're uh, avoiding yourself scoring chances. So what you need to do during that, and it's easier said than done, is to simplify and get pucks to the net and get bodies to the net. Uh, my buddy Burke Ricchetti uh, tweets, and he says, would you have challenged for offside on that clear at the end of the second period that led to the second goal? The one with 5.1 seconds left. It was the Komarov goal. Uh, I would not have. Um, I didn't see anything to indicate uh, beyond, uh, you know, that was conclusive that that puck was out of the zone. The thing that made that one really difficult is that the puck was six foot six feet in the air. When the puck's on the ice, it's a lot easier to make that call because you have the contrast of the blue line and the white ice to know where the puck is. At six feet in the air, you just don't know exactly how that camera is lined up, and I just don't see how they'd be able to overturn it. So, no, I wouldn't have done that in that spot. I would have uh, given my team the riot act uh, for having an offensive zone draw with 20 seconds left in the period and giving up a goal with five seconds left in the period, but I would not have challenged it. Chris Curley tweets in, he says, I feel like the Flyers are getting outplayed by a less talented team who depends on their opponent's mistakes to win. Do you think the Flyers can win this series by simply cleaning up the sloppy play, or do they need bigger strategic changes? I think they need strategic changes right now because um, it's been far too inconsistent. Um, I, look, I don't know on paper who's more talented than, than the other team or who's deeper. The, the Islanders have a really good fourth line with that Matt Martin line and Clutterbuck and they have some they have some good players and they have some game breakers and Barzell and Bavillier, Anders Lee's a big uh, big player and talented and Josh Bailey, I mean they have some good players so I don't know I'm not going to really decide who's more talented, uh, but the Flyers I think they do need to clean up their sloppy play and the details like I talked about, and I think they do need some strategic changes and combination and line changes to to change the dynamic of what's going on. At Mick Jamison one tweets and he says no question but we're done. Be it five games or six games, we're done. Oh, well. See, dude, I don't understand that. I know it's right after the game and you're, you're angry. The team hasn't lost back-to-back games. They have an opportunity tonight to win a hockey game and tie the series at two and make it a best of three. Stop with the Negadelphia defeatist attitude. The team has won 11 straight times coming off a loss. But automatically you assume they're going to lose that game in a back-to-back? And you heard Bundy talk about it. He played in the league for a long time, Chris Terrian. And he said it is really difficult to beat the same team on back-to-back days in the NHL. Uh, I, I don't think that the Islanders are that head and shoulders greater than the Flyers that they can just go out and it's a foregone conclusion they're going to beat them too straight like it's a varsity versus a JV. At Jim Ike HW on Twitter uh, says, this is a great question. He says, how is it the Flyers have players like Voracek, JVR, Hayes, Couturier, and Grant, but have absolutely no net front presence whatsoever? They do have it. They, they had it on the goal. James Van Riemsdyk uh, was a, a part of that layered screen, along with Provorov, who rotated down. Um, and, that, and that's how they scored the goal, because Varlamov never saw it. Uh, but they do need more of that. More, more, more of that. I talked about it during the Montreal series a ton, and they need more of that. At BeatJStag83 says, do you expect major changes in the offseason? Like, are they going to try to their best to unload Jake, Giroux, and JVR? Like, dude, why are we talking about the offseason? They're down 2-1 to one in a series. With a chance to tie the series at two tonight. Yeah, I know those. Jake's been really good in the playoffs, by the way. Um, Giroux has obviously struggled uh, in the return to play, as has JVR. Um, but I'm not, I'm not in the mood to talk about the offseason when they're down two games to one in the second round of the playoffs. This is what I mean. 
Oh. All right, last question comes from uh, Simon Ali. He says, uh, do you think Giroux and Couturier are feeling the stress of being in the bubble since they both have young children? He said, I can't blame them if that's the case. Got to understand the human element of what they're going through. Um, Van Riemsdyk, too, just had a kid as well um, This during the pause, late in the pause as well. So uh, he's into that equation as well. I don't know, and I, don't want, I can't speak for those three players on how life has been in the bubble. Um, Claude's son, Gavin, had his first birthday just the other day um, on Thursday. Happy first birthday to Gavin. Um, but I don't know, and I, I don't think it would be fair for me to comment on that without having spoken to them about it. And I think it would be unfair to clump them all together that they're suffering from the same thing. We just don't know. Um, could it be part of the equation? I would imagine it could. And I know it's easy for us to, I mean, the way we look at athletes, to just say, you're getting paid a ton of money to go out there and do that job. And But look, hockey players plan to have their kids in the summertime so that they're off when they have the kids. And that didn't work out that's this way this year, and they returned to play and that, that obviously is part of the equation. You don't know how it affects an individual. You have no idea. And I think it's really kind of ignorant of people to not at least consider that that could have an effect on the way guys are performing. Because when you're playing at an elite level in a league with the best players in the world in the playoffs, if your head's not 100% dialed in, your play can be affected even the tiniest of a little bit. And that can be the difference. It's, I think it's why Tuka Rask left the bubble because he knew he was having a hard time with it and he wouldn't be able to give his team what he could, what he needed to give his team. Thought he'd be a detriment because he wasn't into it mentally. That's why Tuka Rask left. But I don't know if that's the case with Giroux, Couturier, or James Van Riemsdyk or other players on the Flyers or around the league. I have no idea. So I, I can't say for any kind of certainty, but I think it's a good question by you because it is a consideration that it could be affecting players in some way, shape, or form. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. Game tonight at 8 o'clock. And again, it's an opportunity for the Flyers to even the series at 2. It's not season over. The season didn't end last night. So let's get pumped up today. Game 4 tonight. If the Flyers can tie that series at 2, it's a best of 3. they got to be able to do that. And like Bundy said, beating a team two days in a row, very difficult in the Stanley Cup playoffs and in the National Hockey League. Flyers Daily presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers, Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research, doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. We'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode after game four. Will we be tied at two or will the Flyers be on the brink down three games to one? We're hoping for the former as opposed to the latter. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's Flyers Daily.